You're listening to the Pulled by the Root podcast. Hello, this is your host, Heidi Marble. I am very excited to welcome Michael Knox to our podcast this morning. I had a little excitement. All of my podcast stuff went down this morning because we didn't have electricity. So Michael and I are in my house hoping for the best (laughs) that we don't have any interruptions. I would like to read Michael's bio to you and then we're going to dive into a conversation. Michael was adopted in 1961 in Illinois. He grew up with two younger sisters, one adopted, one biological, and moved to Southern California when he was five. He has been married for 36 years and has three wonderful children and one granddaughter. He worked in the television industry for many years and moved his family to Atlanta to work on the Olympics and never left. Around 22 years ago, he started running and then biking. He's always been a swimmer and one thing led to another and he started doing Ironman triathlons and is currently training for one this year. If you asked him to describe himself two and a half years ago, he would say a husband, a father, and an athlete. He did both Ancestry and 23andMe, just had a curiosity and never searched for his family until there was a match on 23andMe. Now he describes himself in capital letters as adopted, married, father, grandfather, athlete. Well, welcome, Michael. Thank you, Heidi. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Well, first of all, it's just so impressive to me, just the endurance it would take to get through the the Ironman. And also, I think that could be applied to our community of adopted people. You need a lot of mental endurance. But before we dive into all of those parts of your story, for people that haven't heard um, from you yet, it would be really lovely if you could just build out your adoption story for us, and then we'll, we'll get into more questions. Right on. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, like I said, my father, my, this is adopted side, um, he, was, he grew up in a small town in Illinois, and he was a star high school athlete and went off to the local college. And my mother um, was, her family was very wealthy and had a rich heritage. Um, and she went off to the same college. And they met there, they got married, and they tried to have, you know, kids for 10 years. And my, my father was the oldest of 13. So all of his brothers and sisters were starting to have kids, and they didn't have anything. Um, so in, uh, after about 10 or 12 years, my, they adopted me. And now I look back on it as I was purchased. I was purchased mm-hmm. for you know, heritage. My grandmother was the only child to my mom, who was the only child, and they needed to pass on the legacy of the Wilcox family. So, you know, I didn't realize that until two years, two and a half years ago when I started going down the world of adoption. Uh, We, uh, and then two years later, my parents adopted my sister, younger sister, we're not, not related. And we lived in Glenview, um, back then, uh, that's where my mom and dad moved, you know, lived. And, and so let me see with the pressure, with the pressure off, we're still in Illinois, mom gets pregnant. And so here comes the baby. Yeah. 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 Here comes the baby sister, which, you know, it took 30 years for her to admit it, but she was the chosen one and treated a little differently. <laughs> um, but we always knew we were adopted. 
my sister, my, my sister and I, there, there was no big thing about that. So in 65, we moved to Southern California. That was most where my dad's family was moved, you know, moving to. They all served in the military and, you know, went to, went out to California and said, oh, this is the place to be. Yeah. <laughs> and so we moved out there and immediately my grandmother on my mom's side, since we were the only family she had, she immediately packed it up and moved out there too. She was really, she was a good, nice lady. So we, um, we, we lived in the same home. It was a great neighborhood, tons of kids, lots of, you know, lots of things to do, lots of ways of getting in trouble too. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it was a good, it was a great time with, you know, the family there, but um, mom and dad were, you know, functional alcoholics and they, you know, so it was a little chaotic you know, dad, you know, both of them worked hard. They both provided, um, but it was a little chaotic at night. Sometimes dad worked six days a week. I uh, took Fridays off because that was when he could have his quiet time away from everybody <laughs> that, you know, and, you know, so we were latchkey kids, you know, we would just have fun. And so, um, but when, when we were 12, my mom had a falling out with her mother, my grandmother, the only, you know, the only child and never talked to her again until she died. Um, my grandmother was really, really the, probably the, who I bonded well to the most. Uh, she would, she was an actress, quote unquote. Um, she didn't really need to work. They, you know, she had tons of money, but that was her thing. And she would read stories to me all the time, like, you know, Mark Twain and Tom Sawyer and, you know, Huck Finn. And she could put all the voices and characters in it. It was a great, you know, it was great. So when, when she was disconnected to us, that was probably one of, you know, we couldn't figure it out, you know, as kids, we didn't know. Uh, but, you know, it was hard. Um, so then, you know, having kind of a dysfunctional neighborhood and actually not neighborhood, but home and, you know, being in Southern California, you know, well, that's when you start drinking as a teenager and that led to doing drugs and all that kind of stuff. And so at about 16 years old, I got in a huge argument with my mom. It was probably over, you know, who knows what, I don't even remember back then. And she's screaming, yelling, and she leaves and comes back out. She says, just, just leave, get out of my house. And here's your adoption papers. Go find your real family. Yeah, Michael. But it didn't, you know, back then it was like, okay, whatever, you know, because I was, you know, I had just as much confusion at that. But, you know, I don't, it, it, and probably dad made the peace and I stuck around for a while longer and um, ended up moving out with my best friend. He graduated uh, college and we moved out and I got a job in the television industry. Well, not the greatest place to be when you're already drinking and doing drugs because it's well known. That's a great industry for that. Um, but either way, um, in 1985, met my, well, I married my wife. I only knew her for about six or eight months. It's a miracle with last Congratulations. Um, thanks. Yeah, she's a, she's a wonderful lady. So in 1987, I had my daughter. Um, my, my adoptive dad died a month before, uh, she was born. So I was drinking even more, you know, I mean, with, you know, all the confusion of having a baby and I was working, you know, 15 hours a day and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And dad had been sick for two, you know, a couple of years with cancer. So, you know, it just kind of spiraled, but 
my my wife kind of went along. She's like, okay, this is life. And we had our my son Matthew um, two years later. But in 1991 is when everything kind of changed because I I at that point was making too much money and I had a race car and I crashed it and you know that was the night I said I saw God. I gave up smoking, drinking, drugs, everything that night. So it was wow. it, it was. Yeah, it was pretty, it was great. Um, and so a couple of years later, cause there was this gap, you know, like four years, um, we decided to have my son, Daniel. Um, we had picked out two names for, for Danny. Um, and it was either going to be James or Daniel. And we let my younger son pick the name. So he picked Aww. Danny and yeah, and it was great. So in 95, we went off to um, Atlanta so I could work in the Olympics. And, you know, once I got out of, you know, once I got here, it was like, oh, no, 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 I'm not going back. <laughs> we bought a house. Actually, we're in the same house as we were when, you know, a month after we moved here. So, oh, you know, that's yeah. great. <laughs> yep. So, but so from 95, um, yeah, I was just, you know, I was just, uh, 95 2018 enjoying life raising a family in in georgia but in 1999 at 38 years old i weighed in at 270 pounds and i was taking high you know high cholesterol blood pressure medicine and all that kind of stuff so in 2000 i started working out and started running and biking like i said like i said and so between 2007 and 17 i did five ironmans and that was um you know, it, it, I enjoy them. I, I don't know why, but I do. When I'm obviously, I I'm training for my next one because I said when I turn sixty and I'm a grandfather, I'll do my sixth one. So that's why I signed oh. up to do one this year. So congratulations, yeah. Michael. That's that is amazing. Well, if I can interject here, there were several things that you said that really really stuck to me. The first one at the very uh, beginning when you were explaining your story is the the word that you use purchased that just ripped my heart Be because I think a lot of us come to that understanding and it's it's a harsh one to, to have to consider so you know thank you for your honesty using yeah. that word yeah. yeah yeah it was yeah I mean it it you know it made a lot of sense you know once I started going down the road of adoption and hearing other people's stories and whatnot going why my grandmother was so instrumental in everything. She had the money and she was the one that actually put up the money to get me adopted and my sister. Wow. So, yeah. Wow, Michael. And then I, and we were talking before we pressed record that like so many of us, you didn't think adoption affected you. And at what point did you realize it sounds like when you got the DNA, but when did you start to realize, wow, this is really an underlying issue in my life? Oh, not until the, not until that the first phone call, not, you know, and everything spiraled. I did not, I did, I could not put two and two together about anything of adoption, but now I look back on my whole life and say, Oh, Oh, you know, there's all these triggers. And I, I heard in, in one interview, somebody said, oh, I see you're a rocker. You know, you rock back and forth. And I said, and I go, and I go, oh, my God, I've done that my whole life. You know, I, one person said to my daughter, you're going to be a great mom. You rock back and forth. And she goes, well, I got that from my daddy. 
And it's, and I heard, you know, I've heard that several times about, you know, it's like a self-soothing kind of thing that if you're standing still, you rock back and forth. And I'm going, yeah, just okay, I, I guess, I, I don't know, but I do it. It's that same thing when, when any of us that are adopted hear a story and go, yep, that's me. Mm-hmm. Yep, mm-hmm. I do that. You know, uh, yes, my fur babies are more important to me than any of my, <laughs> you know, because they they love unconditionally. So, yeah. So. Yeah. And I and I think when you're an adopted person, one of the harsh realizations and I don't even think that it's, you know, conscience in most instances, I don't think adopted parents are trying to hurt us. They just want they want a family. But the reality is that, that we do have to, to rock back and forth and ride this sense of duality between the two lives, you know, the one and trying to find identity. And I would love to know, you know, we talked a little bit about your daughter getting that from you. How has being adopted in your mind, now that you've had time to think of it, how does it inform your parenting? Because I'm really unpacking that right now, even though my son's grown up, I'm like, oh man, it, it really affected how I parented. Um, you know, what affected me was my dad was disconnected um, mm. and I became overconnected. I actually yeah. left the television, not, I wouldn't, my kids would never say overconnected, but I made sure that I could I left the television industry and started working on my own and I could take time off to do whatever with the kids. Cause when I worked before I was traveling all the time, I was one of those absence dads. And I just said, no, 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 no. And so, you know, backpacking trips with the boys and chaperoning with my daughter. And I, you know, I did a ton of things with them that I would have never been able to do if I had the, you know, 60 hour a week job. Um, so maybe I overcompensated because of my adopted dad, I can't tell you why I did it for sure. But I, I feel like, I feel like I overcompensated. I'm sure my children think it was great that I was there. I, you know, I've never really bridged that. They, they love to tell stories about when we would go do things, you know? So, yeah. Well, I'm so glad you made that decision, Michael, no matter what the, the motivation was, you know, I, I think I mentioned it before on the podcast that a lot of my parenting was fear-based because I didn't want my son to feel abandoned. I never wanted him to experience insecurity. So I think it's interesting to explore those things with other parents that are adopted. And that, yeah, that very, very well may be is I just didn't want them to feel like I wasn't around, you know, because my dad wasn't, you know, so, but it could have, yeah. it could, it, 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 you know, if you read the primal wound and all this other stuff, it can go way back. You know, you just don't know, but you do a lot of things differently when you're adopted. That's for sure. So, that, that is for sure. Well, it sounds yeah. like you have this come to Jesus moment in your race car. All of the, the negative things that you were doing to cope just fell away, which is miraculous. And then you begin to, to build your life, which leads you into the athleticism that you had. And I love to talk a little bit more about what Ironman means to you and also what can our audience gain from that kind of, I mean, the, the mental strength required to power through something like that can also help us in all of these other areas of life. So can you, can you explain more about that, please? Uh, It's, it's hard. Most people don't understand why somebody would do Ironman. It's, um, 
I, you know, I have my, my quote unquote brother from another mother before I found my family. Um, I started running and he was still in, he was in California still. And, you know, I was in Atlanta, but we would talk all the time. We were, you know, like I said, brothers from another mother. And I started riding and running and I started doing adventure racing. And at the same time, he was doing Ironman. I would have never thought of it. Adventure racing is just, you know, running through the woods on, or biking or paddling. And, you know, I sat on the beach one day and I said, you know, I could do an Ironman if I can do that. And it just, for some reason or another, it just sounded like a good idea. And I, you know, I started with my half Ironman and then I signed up for, well, once I went down that road, my friend uh, said, well, if you're going to do one, we're going to do it together. Cause he had already done a couple of them, two or three. And so probably because I had a, tr you know, a challenge from my, you know, best friend in the world that I said, well, yeah, I can't, I can't flake out on that. And once I did the first one, there's something very addictive about it. If, it, you know, some people will say one and done. Other people say never do that again. And the other, then there's me. I just want to do it again and do it again. You know, and it's, um, you know, the, the, the challenge was, was training, you know, and being, and having kids. So I always revolved my training around, you know, I wouldn't not be there for soccer games or something like that. You know, if they were going to be 45 miles or 50 miles away at a soccer game, I would get up at, you know, six in the morning and ride my bike to where the fields are. You know, that was my way of training, you know? And, um, so I, I revolved it around the kids, you know, at, at soccer, my very first run ever was when my Danny was five years old and he was, he was at practice and, you know, they're playing bunch ball and you have to be there. And I said, well, I could jog around this, you know, field. Oh my God. I thought I was going to die. <laughs> I couldn't move for two weeks. <laughs> oh, but, man. Yeah. I mean, it just, it like it's like I said, one thing led to another and it just, it was something that I found that was, you know, in my wheelhouse, I guess, you know, I just enjoyed doing it. Um, and it's, it, it is an accomplishment without a doubt. I have some framed, beautiful pictures with my finisher medal, you know, so. Michael, like, I'm sure there were moments when you were doing the Ironman where you get to that point of just sheer exhaustion. And what did you tell yourself in that moment? Like, can you take us, because so many of us are struggling and what is it that pushed you to, to keep going? Because a lot of us need to hear that. Um, you know, Heidi, I wish I could tell you what it is deep in the back of my brain that makes me keep going. Uh, mm. You know, maybe it wasn't, you know, my dad was the star athlete and I was the miserable, you know, loser kid, you know. <laughs> so prove you had something to prove. So yeah. maybe, you know, maybe I was just, you know, trying to prove something to him, you know, that I mm. dead and gone for, you know, whatever, 15 years, 20 years. I might've been trying to do that. I just, I, I never quitting an Ironman never, never dawned on me ever. I just, I mean, even if I was, I wasn't, I had a motto for all my races that I started very young, I, very early on. And I said, I just want to finish strong and have fun. I don't want to be the guy on the side of the road puking. I don't want to be the person crawling over the finish line. 
I don't want to be taken to the hospital at the end. I just wanted to have fun doing it. And it, it kind of played out. But there were times where, you know, yeah, I was getting like, you know, you first get off the bike after 100, you know, 112 miles and you start, you know, you try to run and go, what am I doing here? <laughs> but then you, you know, you can't, you get your rhythm going and you just kind of go. And, and, and every once in a while you you'll be walking or running really slow and somebody will come up next to you and you guys, you start talking with someone and you know, you're on the same, you guys are, we're in the same boat together. So it was, yeah. So no, that, no, we, that was a really great answer. <laughs> Thank you. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> no, it, re it really was. And I think the metaphor of Iron Man really appeals to me when we think about the adoption community, it is a marathon to be an adopted person and to piece together identity, to cope with all of the things we need to do to try to find peace and healing. And I, we haven't really talked about reunion with you. And I think it would be interesting to see how that went for you. How did you get through it? Can you tell us a lot about that, please? Yeah. So, um, you know, I did, I did ancestry 15, no more than that, you know, 10, 12 years ago. And it just, you know, back then it was, Oh, you're Finnish Russian. Uh, you know, when that was the end of it and never really looked, never looked at it again after I saw it. And then uh, I was listening to a podcast about fitness and did, and did 23 and me because you can you do some stuff with the raw data and uh, got the email that, um, there's a new DNA report with 23andMe and I logged in and sure enough, all of a sudden I have matches, you know, family, close family matches. And I sent a letter to them, you know, to all three of four of them saying, Hey, you want to, you know, I don't know anything about myself, blah, blah, blah. And a week later I got a phone call. Um, from Florida, I live in Georgia and I'm going, ah, I don't need another timeshare. <laughs> so <I blew> <laughs> yeah. And next thing I know, I get a text message. He goes, Hey, this is Chuck. You want to talk? And I said, yeah. And I, in the same room that I am talking to you, it's my gym downstairs. I can close the door and have privacy. And it had said 23 and me had said he was my first cousin. So I, you know, I didn't know what to expect. And when I got the uh, phone call, he goes, Hey, Chuck. And he goes, I, we might be related. And he goes, yeah. He goes, are you sitting down? And I go, matter of fact, I am. And he goes, I'm your brother. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And, you know, as I always say is time stopped, you know, it just, mm. everything went into a blur and I, I don't know what it was like for you, but when that first bomb hits now I'm 58 years old never real. I mean, my first ever thought about talking to a relative was that the email I sent him, you know, I never thought about trying to find anybody. So, um, I, you know, we talked for 45 minutes and he said, Hey, you know, your sister wants, you know, he told me all this stuff that I didn't remember. You know, I just, it just, it blanked out, you know, and I've heard that before with other people. Mm -hmm. It's like, once you, you hear that, but he did say, um, your sister wants to talk to you and your mom wants to talk to you. And that was, you know, it's like, okay, you know, so he goes, but we're leaving for a couple of days. We're leaving for three days and I'll get back with you. It's like, okay. It's like, great. This isn't <laughs> yeah. really going to work, but you know, we hung up 
And the first person I called was my adoptive sister. We're, we're close, but not really close. You know, I mean, you know, brother, sister, whatever. But that was the person who would understand. And yeah. she goes, I'm doing 23 and me. I was like, okay, Karen, have fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, the next one was to my daughter and she's a nurse practitioner and she knew what was going on. You know, I had talked to her and she goes, I knew it. Yeah. That percentage of DNA is not a first cousin. And so she already, and, and so she was all excited. She knew it. And as I was talking to her, I got my first um, text message from Chuck and then a second text message from Chuck. And that's when time really stopped because it was a picture of both my birth mother and birth father from college. Oh, oh gosh. Oh. Yeah. And I, I said to my, I, you know, I looked at it. Oh, by the way, it did have their names on it too. It wasn't just a picture. So, you know, and I came around the corner and I looked at my wife and I said, you know, I was always searching. I, yeah, there was times that I, you know, most adoptees would relate. You sit on the, you go, you know, you put your birth date in the internet and you go into the black hole and see if you can find anything. And it's never, never, never there. Uh, but I did, you know, it was, you know, I always cared, but I didn't realize it until those, until those pictures arrived. Mm. And um, so I, you know, I didn't, of course I didn't sleep that night. Well, I didn't sleep for, no. uh, I didn't sleep for two days. And the first night I started searching the internet and there could have been, you know, I know who the mom is, but I didn't know who the dad was. And it could have been even, even with his name, it could have been like 10 different people. You know, I mean, like I didn't know. So uh, I get a, you know, and I couldn't find anything the next morning. My daughter calls and says, Hey, it goes, you should check this out. I think this is your family. And, you know, she did her, you know, she did her searches and I went and I started looking and sure enough on Facebook, I found this thing. This was Matt Heather was the name. And I said, okay, whatever. And I'm looking at the profile pictures and everybody's got sunglasses on. And then there was the last picture and I'm looking at this girl and I swear to God, I I'm looking at a ghost. I just do something about her just I, I must have sat there and looked at it for 45 minutes. You know, I just couldn't take my eyes off her. And as it turns out, um, I, I sent you a couple pictures. You'll see that we could be identical. I mean, we're, we're 10 years apart, almost to the date. And the first time we took a picture together, you know, my <laughs> wife goes, oh, my God, look at this. <laughs> it's like <laughs> the first time in my life I look like someone. You know, and I didn't even see it until my wife pointed it out to me. But I guess looking at her on that Facebook profile, I, I could, I guess my mind was seeing it somehow. And she was, um, but yeah, so it was, um, it was pretty, it was pretty, you know, it was pretty special to have someone to, that I looked like, you know. And um, so the next day I texted my brother, I go, hey, can you... I'd love to talk to my sister and I think her name is Heather. You know, I didn't remember. And um, I get the, I get the text message. Are you ready for a phone call? And I said, absolutely. So I talked to Heather calls me and it turns out that, you know, we were both diehard 
Def Leppard fans. We're both, you know, we both do triathlons. <laughs> we both do, we both mountain bike. We both are swimmers in high school. You know, I mean, here it is. Here's my real sister. You know, the someone, mm-hmm. someone I was, I almost, yeah, that's the thing you always say, you were supposed to grow up with maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the shoulda, coulda, woulda, right, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, we have so many things in common. But the thing that probably really, uh, there was two things she said that was that was really kind of it made my heart leap. And she said she knew about me. Her okay, so her birth mother, um, or my birth mother, her mother, our mother, yeah. Uh, got divorced when they were teenagers. And when Heather got pregnant with her first child, um, my birth mother's husband, she was worried about, you know, mom had had a miscarriage and, you know, before, after me. And so she was a little bit worried and her birth father, you know, her father said, Hey, uh, no, she had a kid before you don't ever tell, you know, you can't tell her that, you know, this, So basically 30 years ago, she found out that she had a brother out there somewhere and she immediately told her brother, you know, my, you know, our brother, you know, and so they kept the secret. They never told anyone they knew. Yeah. You know, this whole adoption secret thing is just sucks, but yes, to say the least. Yeah. Yeah. And so it was, um, so she said she bought books on tape on how to search for someone. She was searching for me. Michael. I know. Michael. That had I mean, to mean so much to you to know that she was seeking you out. She wanted to find me. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. That was, you know, mm-hmm. and she did the same thing that we all did. And I'm sure you did. She would sit in airports or whatever and look yep. around and wonder, is that my brother? Is that, you know, I didn't even, I'll tell you, I never, I, I said I was always searching or always wondered. I was wondered about my birth parents, but I never, ever thought about that I would have brothers or sisters. I know. Isn't that funny that so many of us don't even think we have a father? It's like, yeah. we're just looking for our birth. I know. I know. Like, wait so, a minute. There's other people related to us. This is Yeah. So yeah, um, it's really know, interesting. Yeah. So at the end of the phone, at the end of her phone call, she goes, by the way, mom wants you to Facebook friend her. Oh and my she would, gosh. And she kept saying our mom, our mom. She never, Aww. you know, that's how much. Yeah. So Heather's pretty special girl to me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Michael, that's yeah. such it's such a beauty. I found a sister and I found a brother and what an incredible, lovely surprise to have because reunion can be hard and it can be painful. Yes. It can bring up a it can bring up a lot of issues and stir up a lot. But the silver lining is when you find a connection with one or more, it, it's just it's hard to explain to other people that take that kind of connection for granted, you, you yeah. know. So, so yeah, take us to your mom now. This is, oh my gosh. So yeah, the next morning, you know, she goes, you want him? She go, I go, I did the little hand wave at, you know, Facebook and she waved back. She goes, would you like to call? And I said, sure. So we, we, you know, we said, you know, just basically the hello, you know, and I, you know, basically, Actually, that whole night, I couldn't really sleep because I knew I was going to talk to her the next day. And all I 
all I want to do is figure out what was I going to say to her? You know, what was the first mm-hmm. thing I was going to say to her? And I, I think I got it out the right way. You know, when you're first talking and I said, I said, Hey, I just right away. I just want to thank you for the choice you made, you know, 58 years ago. Um, because there, I have three pretty special children, um, that are, are wonderful individuals and they wouldn't be here if you didn't make the choice you did. So my God. yeah, that's my, that was my, my introduction to my mother. She's a sweet, I mean, she is a extremely strong lady. I mean, and I think, um, I've been listening to birth mothers, uh, podcast now there's a new one and I have such a respect for birth mothers now. They are the strongest individuals. The ones that want to tell their story and actually, you know, there are some that are still dealing with the, you know, the shame and the secrecy and all that, but the ones that tell their story, my God, they're so strong. And um, so she went back to school, got her degree in psychology. She actually went to work in Alabama. She got married when, you know, uh, working at an adoption agency for the state placing children, you know, I mean, placing children with adoptive parents, you know, I don't know. And she, you know, then they got divorced. She moved to Vermont with her new husband and she became an EMT and then a paramedic. And then she became the first female flight paramedic in Vermont. Um, So when her ex-husband died, you know, and my brother and sister are in Florida, she moved back to Florida at 50 and she was bored. So she went back to college and she became an ER nurse, got a degree and became an ER nurse for another 15 years. I mean, so she's, she's been around, you know, she's, she's, and you know, we talk every other day practically, you know, it's, you know, but you're, you're catching up with a lifetime. I mean, I know. Yeah. There's no way to fill that void, but you build the relationship from this point forward. Can, can you take, can you take us to the first time you physically met her that, what was that experience like? Um, it took, it was about two weeks that I was numb. I I, I just didn't feel anything. I I just, I wasn't happy. I wasn't sad. I wasn't, I, I couldn't figure it out. And I actually went to a therapist, but not an adoption competent therapist. So after an hour, I said, what do you think? She goes, that's the most amazing story I've ever heard. It's like, well, that doesn't help me, honey. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Why am I numb right now? So you're saying after you met her, you just kind of shut down? No, 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 no. When I talked to her, this was before. Oh, I see. Okay. So I just said, look, I just got to go see these people. And I, we, Mm -hmm. we have Mm -hmm. my wife and I, we own a, we have a small trailer and we packed it up and we went down to Florida and, you know, met my sister. She was going out of town. I met her for breakfast. And the first, and she was the first one because she was leaving. And I sat down at the table and looked at her and I said, it's real. And she goes, yeah, it's real. Because it wasn't real until I actually saw, you know, phone calls and Facebook and photos just didn't make it. So, you know, we said goodbye. I mean, this is the one that always gets everybody is that we left the restaurant and (laughs) she started walking away and I didn't realize it at the time. I do now. Um, She turned around about halfway to the car and came running back and gave me a great big hug for a long time. And I realized now that I thought maybe I was never going to see her again, or I was going to be abandoned again by the family. And so as I say, it was probably the most special hug I've ever had in my life. 
was that one. So, you know, went back to the tra trailer and decompressed for a very short amount of time. Probably should have been longer. And I did, you know, everything in the adoption community says, don't do what I did. And I went and saw, I, I went to my mother, my birth mother's home. You know, you're supposed to meet in a neutral site and you're supposed to not <laughs> this and you're not supposed to do that. <laughs> and um, sure enough, she was out watering her garden. She's got a, you know, condo and she's got all these plants. She's a big plant lady, or, you know, master gardener actually. And uh, I came up to her and I gave her a big hug. And I think she wasn't sure what was going to happen. And she goes, thank you for that. You know, so, Hello. and oh. we went, so we went inside and we talked for two hours and she even, she even told me, you know, sometime later, she goes, yeah, I saw you looking around. I, you know, I was looking at stuff going, who is this person? And, you know, right. what does she like? And what, do, you know, what kind of books does she have and art? And, you know, you just wonder. And, uh, so we talked for about two hours and we're going to go to dinner and uh, she go, comes out, gets freshened up, comes out. And she goes, you know what I feel about this whole thing? And this is where you kind of worry as an adoptee, you know, when somebody gives a blunt statement like that, because I was <laughs> waiting for the, uh, well, it was nice to meet you, but I'm not, you know, this, we can't do this. She goes, I finally feel complete. Oh, Michael. Yeah. And oh. so it was like, okay, great. She's not rejecting me. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. a very real fear and, and sadly a, a reality for a lot of people. And you have to brace yourself because yeah. you don't know what's going to happen. I'm just so grateful that that was your outcome. Yeah. So, Oh, thank so you. The, yeah. Thank you yeah. for sharing that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. She was, she was wonderful. The one thing that she did say, on our first phone call, and I, I think I mentioned the use on our first phone call, is that some people don't, I never thought of it, and I've heard other people going, oh, I never thought of that either. Um, that our very first phone call, she said, um, you know, you said you, you, didn't, you didn't know the name you were given on your birth certificate, and I said, I don't have my birth certificate. You know, I've just got a bunch of legal mumbo jumbo. And she goes, well, I did give you a name. And I said, I said, oh, Really? I wasn't ready for that one. And she goes, you want to know who I, what I named you? And I go, well, of course I do. You know, she's very honest about everything. And I said, she goes, I named you, I named you Daniel, same as my son. So it was oh. kind of, yeah. So I, Oh my gosh, Michael. So I immediately called my, my baby boy and said, well, you're officially junior. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so. just incredible to hear. And so yeah. can you bring it, can you bring us to the current, like right now, where are you at with, like, how long have you been in reunion and how is it going? Are you still connected? What advice would you give our community about reunion? Um, take it slow. Um, my, mm. I mean, I didn't, you know, I didn't follow any guidelines. I just jumped in. Matter of fact, I, I know my birth, you know, I've met my whole family on the birth father side too. So, um, wow. and for them, remember everybody on the birth mother side knew, knew about me, uh, birth, birth father side, nobody knew about me. I was complete, you know, no, you know, radio silence on that side. And so for them, it's been a big shock and, uh, and I haven't pushed anything. I actually went up and met them in Chicago. Uh, we went to the bears game. Mm -hmm. I met, 
that I have uh, four half brothers and a half sister. And I met two of the brothers and the, um, and my sister, we went to the, we went to a bears game together and it was a great time, but they've been very nice and receptive, but there's a couple of them that were really standoffish and I didn't do anything. I mean, I would just send them maybe a, a happy Thanksgiving or a Merry Christmas text message. And that is it. You know, I did not force anything on anybody, you know, and in the last uh, five months, it took two, almost two years. Um, those two brothers have both reached out and we have phone, long phone calls and talked, but it was on their terms, not mine. I, I just left it. Like I said, I mean, for them, they never knew anything about me, you know? So it was, it was hard where on the mom's side, everybody knew about me um, with my, what goes on now is that, you know, my wife is, you know, she lives and breathes gardening and my birth mother lives and breathes gardening. Uh, my adoptive mom, who's, you know, never really talked to my wife um, ever for the most part. Um, all of a sudden, my my wife has a best friend <laughs> because all of a sudden they're just I mean, I hear I'm talking. And I'm going, oh, she's talking to my birth mother. <laughs> you know, they just call each other. Um, so um, birth mother side, you know, she's been she's been very open and very honest about everything. And, you know, in, and I think it's a lot easier because everybody knew about me on that side for so long that it wasn't a, you know, it wasn't, you know, there were secrets, but they knew I existed. Um, but on the birth side, I, I really, <clears throat> I threw a giant wrench in the, the, uh, the birth father's family. That's for sure. You know, and, and, and I, I get it. I mean, they have to be in as much shock as, as I was, you know, I mean, I, you have to put oh, yeah. the shoe on the other foot, you know, it's like, if, you know, you don't, think, think about how much you're in shock, that you just found all these half brothers and sisters. Well, they probably feel exactly the same way. No, so, that's an important point, Michael. I, you know, I never really thought about it the way that you stated it. Thank you so much for the differentiation between the two experiences, because it makes sense when you think about it, that your, your biological mother, the fact that they knew about you, even though they didn't know you, you existed in their world. And then you have the polar opposite of that, where there's no indication that you even exist and how you had to experience both of those things that's really important information. And yeah. 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 And then, like mm. I said, I'm, I'm, I'm very thankful that the other brothers yeah. have, have, you know, reached out and, and, you know, said hello, at least. Um, yeah. You know, it's, and I actually, um, oops, sorry. I talked to my, um, my uh, birth father's wife a few times too. She's a mm. doctor. So, Oh my gosh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's kind of it's kind of because we we see on the same terms, you know. I mean, mm. as far as things, you know, she found her family. So she wow. her story is far more interesting. She came from the uh, Tennessee Children's Society, where they were, oh. you know, stealing children off the street and selling them. So it, yeah, it's just yeah, that's all so upsetting and unbelievable. Well, Michael, as we get toward the the last part of our interview, I'd really like to open up the floor. I know that you've done multiple podcasts, but is there something you want to say to all the incredible people who are listening all over the world that some encouragement you can give them? What, what is in your heart right now for, 
for people that are hurting, that are struggling, that are seeking, that are finding, that aren't finding? Yeah, I mean, um, my favorite term is if you're going to go down this road, you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. Once it's out, you don't, you know, you don't know what's going to happen. Um, I think listening to other people's stories is extremely beneficial. I listen to every podcast I can get my hands on and it is, you know, it helps you understand where you came from and now hearing birth mother stories, understanding where they came from, you know, the, the, the pressures and, and what they were put, the duress that they were put under at the time. And that just helps heal the wound, you know, quite a bit for me now, not always for everyone. Um, but it also, you have to be, you have to be careful about that too, because you, you know, some of these stories are not pretty. Um, if you're going to think about going and searching, maybe you should listen to a few podcasts because there's a lot of reunion stories that are not nice. And, um, I just, I have a very, I have a wonderful reunion story. Everyone has been very nice to me, very welcoming. Nobody's, you know, I haven't gotten the rejection from anybody and it's two and a half years. So I'm hoping I'm past the honeymoon stage of reunion. Um, but being involved with the, the, you know, the adoption community, as, as a lot of people will say, um, there's a lot of Facebook groups and whatnot. Some are pretty toxic. You don't, you know, you don't want to hear all those horrible stories constantly. You know, you need to hear a couple of them, but not, you know, perpetually, you know, everything's bad. So I, I kind of veer away from that. I've gotten involved in um, Atlanta Adoptees Connect. Um, we're a, you know, it's other adopt and it's interesting when you get on the phone with another adoptee, it's almost like you're, it's almost like a brother and sister or brother and brother relationship instantly. It's just, it's so strange, but nobody understands an adoptions, you know, adoptees feelings except another adoptee. So being connected to a group is pretty cool. Um, because of doing a, um, Doing one of my podcasts, I got connected to um, the Georgia Alliance for Adoptee Rights, and I'm involved in that now where it's um, allowing, we're trying to get a bill passed in Georgia so adoptees can get their original birth certificate when they turn 18. You know, mm-hmm. forget all the secret stuff, man. I mean, you know, what is it about adoptees? You know, we don't have a right to our history, to our past, you know, as far as what's happening, you know, where we came from. You know, uh, you know, it's, and so I, you know, now I'm involved in all this adoption stuff that I, you know, two and a half years ago, I wouldn't have anything to do with. There, yeah, there. I am. No, talk about the toothpaste. Once yeah. I, I feel like that too. It's just become an obsession for lack of a better word. I just, I can't not know and not see and not understand and not want to try to do whatever my little life can do to impact this and I think together we are stronger and we belong to each other and we can help each other navigate all of the ups and downs yeah it is, um, it, so. it, it is it's exactly right I mean my mm-hmm. sister when I told you she did 23 and me she found her paternal family mm-hmm. and uh, it's not it's not that it's bad she just didn't want to find her paternal father she wanted to find her you know her her mother her birth mother she never expected to get that back. And so for her, it's been extremely hard and she just kind of has disconnected from it. And, you know, I, and you, 
everyone has to go their own way. But you, she, again, she's, she, the toothpaste is out. She, you know, <laughs> she knows. So it's yeah. not, yeah. So I, no. you know, but you know, I mean, I tried to go to a, an adoption competent therapist, but gee whiz, it's so expensive and insurance doesn't cover it. And, you know, I know that that's one of the things that I've heard over and over again is like, find an adoption competent therapist. Well, find one that takes insurance and <laughs> you can talk to them. I, you know, I feel like I'm navigating it fairly well, but I'm probably navigating it fairly well because my family has, my birth family has been so nice. I, I, I imagine if I had secondary rejection and things like that, uh, I would probably be a little bit freaked out. Yeah, no, thank you for sharing that, Michael. And it's very real, you know, the access to help. And, and I think it's very confusing because everyone's always pushing. If you need help, go get it. It's like, well, we understand the professionals deserve to get paid. This isn't a ding to them. They deserve to get paid for what they do. It's just access is a challenge. And, and I really hope that, you know, there's a lot of people out there in our community, they're trying to solve that problem so that we can have the type of specific counseling that would be the most beneficial. So thank you again for pointing that out and for your advice. And, and I just wish yeah. you all the luck with your next Ironman. And it's Thanks. been so, it's been so lovely to hear your incredible story, Michael. Um, yep. Yeah, yeah, it's, just, it's, it's been a, it's been quite the adventure. That's for sure. So. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, it certainly <laughs> has. Well, thank you for, thank you for, you know, hearing my story, sharing it. So. Oh, oh my gosh, any, Michael, of course. And I have to say, if anybody that lives in Atlanta or in Georgia um, ah. and wants to be part of our group, you know, I'll, yes. I'll send the link, I'll send you the links to it. And, you know, we're looking for more people, obviously. So that'd be yeah. great, Michael. Well, thank you. Thank you, Heidi.